Hey, Thriver. Welcome to the Career Thrivers Podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Cole, and I am so thrilled that you are here. Why? Because our careers are connected to every area of our life. And the aim of this podcast is to help you thrive in your career. Each week, we'll be sharing resources, reflections, and real stories of leaders who are navigating the crossroads of their career, personal life, and business. If you're ready to make your next move, your best move, then you're in the right place. Let's do this. Let's do this. Welcome back to the Career Thrivers podcast. We're just going to, Eric and I are just going to let you all into our conversation today. We are glad that you're here. You are here. And I'm thrilled to introduce you all to my friend, but also an empowerment author, a speaker, a coach, and just somebody, just get ready to, to be inspired. Eric Cox, welcome to the Career Thrivers podcast. I appreciate you, Brittany. I am humbled to be here today and very excited just to pour out value. That's what I do. That is exactly what you do. And as you know, we've been starting these conversations with our Dev Talk series, short for development, but really giving our listeners an opportunity to kind of hear the behind the scenes of how you've gone from here to there to where you are now. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Sure. So I know this is going to be short and uh, uh, brief compared to how long I could go on this, but I am a native Nashvilleian and uh, grew up in a very impoverished location and area in Nashville. So the 37208 zip code. So grew up working poor, working poor family, didn't come from any rich beginnings and yeah, predominantly black communities. So where I grew up in as well in Nashville. So I went to school Pearl Cone, so any uh, Pearl Cone Firebirds out there, and then after high school went to UT Knoxville, and me and Brittany actually met each other in a program called Inroads, which was that transitional period from high school to to, uh, undergrad, but went to UT Knoxville, and after graduating from UT Knoxville, which was in 2009, I had a great opportunity to open up my own office uh, and start running my own sort of franchise business, I guess you can say, through a marketing company that still exists today. But I went directly after graduating. I graduated the very next day, packed up my little, uh, I call her Betsy, uh, at the time, my old Blazer, old Chevy Blazer truck, where you had to, the driver door, you had to kind of pull up a little and then pull in for it to shut all the way. So I had that, had a U-Haul tow, and I drove to Clarksville, Tennessee. That is where I operated my business for a very short period of time, but also where I probably grew the most from the painful endeavors. So one thing about, I talk about uh, often seeds. I talk about planting. I talk about seeds. I talk about trees. I talk about fruit. And one of the things about a seed is prior to ever growing, Prior to ever growing, it has to be buried and it has to experience loneliness and it has to experience a very intentional season of aloneness. And it's a space and a place where it's just you. Uh, And the way I would say it's just you and God and that's it. And it's dark and it's cold and you can't see your way out and you're just trusting some other source to take care of you. And I remember going to Clarksville, Tennessee. I had operated a business successfully for the first year I was in business, uh, 2009. In 2010, for anybody who knows about 2010 in Nashville, Tennessee, there was this thing called, of all years and of all times, a 100-year flood. I said, well, you know, <laughs> Lord. So of all the times this 100-year flood hits when this little poor broke boy 
who struggled financially through school, finally achieved and got the sheet of paper that he needed to validate his experience on earth in, in terms of learning and uh, worth. And I get to a place, I'm a business owner, a little cocky on the inside, you know, you got that confidence and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm doing better than the rest of my family or I've excelled more than other people in my area. And a flood came, which knocked me completely out of business. That and then just some other situations and issues. And it, it was a sales business. And the way it was operated was my business was, uh, my cash flow was determined based on uh, the representatives who were under me. So I was over an office. It's a sales commission-based office. Those who worked in this area know it. But I did well based on how well my people did and how well the office did, which means I had to constantly pour value into them and make sure I was training them and teaching them. So 80 hour plus weeks, easy, 80 hour plus weeks. And even when I was at home, I was working. So I did that for a year, was successful for a year. The flood came, knocked me out. I had some family issues as well back in Nashville, some health issues with grandparents, with my mom. I had to, I, I got to a point where my secretary who I was paying out was making more than I was. And they didn't know that. I was cutting the checks just making sure they were good. I was broke. I had to pay the lease. I had to take care of, uh, you know, rent for my office. I was also taking care of rent for my apartment at the time there in Clarksville. And I couldn't do it. I had a new car that got repossessed uh, during that time because I didn't have the financials for it. I had to move things into storage, into a storage unit. And I had to leave Clarksville to get back to Nashville, one, because I couldn't afford Clarksville anymore, but I still had my storage there in Clarksville. And I remember getting to a place, and there's a lot more to it, but we don't have time for that. But I remember getting to a place where the storage owners kept calling me and saying, hey, you're behind on your storage. You're behind on your storage. And it got up to $500. $500 a day, uh, in no cocky way, is laughable. It is something that I could pay $500 a day toward something like that. It might have might as well have been $5 million at that time, though, because I just didn't have it. <laughs> it didn't matter what it was. And my, my stuff in my storage got sold. They sold off all my things. One, I was too prideful, too embarrassed to ask family for money. But also my, my family, you know, didn't come from a place where you can just call them and say, hey, you know, fam, hey, you got $500 I can loan, yeah. I can borrow. So anyway, got a, a repossession of my car. The only car I had left was my old Blazer, which, you know, the door thing I just told you about. The transmission died on it when I was driving into Nashville. So transmission died, fuel pump went out, <laughs> had to get towed to a cousin's house. And that experience, not, not the highs, but it was the lows of, of gaining quickly everything I wanted to have and then losing everything or what I perceived as everything. And maybe it was a humility thing. Maybe it was a lot of things, but whatever it was, it taught me and I would not be who I am today had it not been for that experience. But I went back to Nashville after about a year, I uh, got into the healthcare space. So I started working in hospice care and worked for a local organization called A Touch of Grace Hospice, which was a very small mom and pop black owned hospice. Uh, they then were acquired about a year out from a larger corporation from the Northeast. And so the name changed, you know, the structure changed, then the environment changed. And I said, Lord, I think it's time for me to change too. So I left from there and came into the, the place I work now, which is American Addiction Centers. And I am the director of training and development or uh, director of learning and development there at the company for 2000, you know, plus staff that we have there now. 
but it really was from the pits of pain that I was able to uh, siphon the pain and really turn it into something that was was powerful uh, and empowering. So that's a little brief uh, synopsis of kind of where I've come from, where I am today, very, very short. And you said the word powerful because there's so many things that I want to ask you. Wow. Okay, let, let's just start with this because... I think it's so interesting and we definitely have this in common that on the heels of like, it's like, oh, this is going great. And like, things are good. And then it's like, all of a sudden, like the rug snatched up under you and it ain't carpet underneath this concrete. So in the midst of those moments, and some people may feel like they're there right now. I mean, coming off of 2020, the year has changed before a lot of people, as you know, the circumstances are the same. Like how do you when you're in that buried place like what keeps you moving forward when you're just like looking around like I have nothing and it's just me or at least you feel that way yeah you know my answer to this would have been different some years ago what I'll say in those places of of burial if you will or those periods of quarantine or isolation where it's just you sorry if that's a trigger word for anybody (laughs) from 2020 quarantine is not used as often now prior to 2020 quarantine was you know it's a different word healthier semantic But I would say, uh, just from being raised in church as well, you know, trust God, have faith and that sort of thing. And that's still true. But uh, that relationship and the understanding of what that means has gone significantly deeper. Mm -hmm. So I have gone deeper. That is a very surface level or it can be a surface level thing that said, you know, trust God, pray. And it is in your COVID seasons those quarantine seasons, those periods where you're forced into a you know a particular situation like isolation, where you can grow. Everyone is met with challenges. Every person every day met with challenges. What the variable is, is how you move, one, your understanding of it, but also your response to that outward stimuli. It is when one person's hit hard, that person might have the mindset of, you know, punches are just a part of life. Let me get back up and keep moving toward where I'm going to. And others take the hit and say, I I guess it's time to quit, time to give up. So the separator for me is just your response. Mm. Now, Eric, where did your response come from? My response came from moments, again, of pain where I was able to utilize things like meditation and breath work and prayer and come to the understanding that things can come and things can go in your life all day long. Mm-hmm. And so if that is true, there has to be something deeper, something bigger than just attaining stuff, right. right? getting things. And it is the pressure, sometimes the self-induced pressure, uh, especially for this little black brown boy who lived in 37208 and was poor. So I wanted riches. So everything for me was very, very much so from a, a mindset of scarcity. It was, I don't have, I got to get, I'll do what it takes to get what I want and what I see everyone else having. I believe I should also have those things just because they have those things and they're not better than I am. And so that was my mindset. It was a scarcity scarcity mindset and scarcity breeds competition. And so when you are always competitive, always hoarding to, to keep others from getting a leg up on you and you come from that kind of mental space it is taxing, to say the least, living day to day, pursuing yeah. those efforts. When you get to a place where you remove all that and you say, my lane is my own and there's no, there's no, I mean, 
life's you know race or life's a marathon. I even use that obviously in in, in the book that uh, that I wrote on last year. The uh, the race is yours. Mm-hmm. The lane is yours. Mm-hmm. The gifts belong to you. The talents are yours. Yep. It is look to your left, look to your right. There's no competition. Mm-hmm. Because what's designed for you, what's tailor made for you is for you. You just need to relax, stay in the present, stay in the now. And remember, there's so much bigger than this manifested reality. There's so much more than just this little short boop, blip of life on earth. Yeah. And when you're reminded of that and constantly, consistently connected to that, and you live out and you show up in that kind of way, in that space every day, you kind of just get to a point where the things that you were chasing, you no longer chase, or you at least no longer chase the same way. My efforts, whatever I chase today, sure, there's benefit drawn back to me. But my question today is now not about how can I serve Eric, but how can Eric serve the world? Yeah. And that's it. It's even, you know, opportunities like this where I'm able to come on to a podcast just to share insights, not to boast, brag, not to amplify Eric for the sake of amplifying the ego of Eric, Mm -hmm. but to say the wider the audience, the more impact you have to touch someone's life, to bless somebody on their day where they're about to tap out of this world. Maybe someone's going to commit suicide today that hears this and says, you know what, let me give it another go. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone's going to quit a job that you really should stick with because you don't have a plan, but you know, you just get wrapped up in emotions. So yeah, I hope that answers that it is. Mm-hmm. I'm just in a different space in terms of how I perceive things. And, and that it, is place of now and presence. Yeah, that, that is exactly what I know that your book is about. So you mentioned your book, sign up for your race, for your life. And I think that you're so right. You know, the word vision, it's like, what, what do you see? What is your vision? What are you looking at? So or what are you focused on? So how can people, and I know you talk about this in your book and it's very practical. So if you don't have a copy of Eric's book, it'll be linked in the show notes. So make sure you pick it up. How can people create a vision for their life? Like we hear that word all the time, but like, what does it mean for people to actually have a vision for the life they want to live? Yeah, absolutely. So there are some practical steps to actually achieving this. What I would encourage someone to do uh, aside from just saying, pick the book up and, and you know follow the steps in there is really and intentionally silence the, the mind uh, or not silence it, but settle it, settle the mind, settle yourself, get to a place of quiet for those who are Christians or even those who are not. They, most people have heard of the name. I would assume Jesus uh, by now. One of the things that Jesus did, regardless if you're is not a religious uh, thing here, but what I love about the story of Jesus is before he took on his mission, prior to, he went into the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The spirit drove Jesus to the wilderness. And so for you, you might, you know, believe spirit or energy or intuition, whatever that is, that voice. There is something that leads us when we're quiet and we're just, we're not distracted from just the noise of life and the, the veil of life, right? And the, 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 the temptations of what the life you know, what, what this world gives. So it is intentional isolation. It is sitting down. It is meditating. It is thinking about at the end of your days when you are on your resting bed, what would you like to be true about yourself? Just from the position you are in now. And it changes. It morphs like we all morph. So as we develop and grow as people, sometimes if your vision is not al- aligned with your why or who you are, like your true self, then it will change often. If, if your vision is aligned to really who you are, 
it will fluctuate a little bit, but not this big cataclysmic kind of change. So when I say that, what I mean is this, it is sitting down, it is thinking about when I'm taking my last breath, what would I like to be true about my life? What would I like to be said about my life? What's the legacy I want to leave behind? And there are key areas in your life that you can dedicate intention and focus toward. In the book, the way I have it broken down is from my mentor, Kane Ramsey, but it's split up into seven main life areas. And so when I say a main life area, it's these big buckets that you you give intention and, uh, and energy toward to give yourself a balanced life. So like your career, your education, you know, your social, your family relationships, your mental, your, 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 your uh, emotional space and well-being, those kinds of things, those key areas. And when you break it up like that, you just ask yourself questions, get very introspective and start asking yourself, what would I like to be true about myself? And then you are then looking at the gap and the gap, it is who you are today versus your self-concept. And when I say self-concept, I mean the person you ultimately want to be. Whatever person you, you devise to be when you're on your last, you're on your final breath, that's the self-concept. And I would pray that there are some gaps from who you are today and where you are today to that person. So it is then putting a plan together to inch one step closer toward that self-concept uh, before we all expire, uh, before you expire. So that, that is writing the vision, creating the vision uh, in, in a short kind of frame. How do you, so once you've taken that step and you say, okay, I have this vision. And like you said, like there's a gap, I say there's a very wide gap and you're going through these moments where you're faced with these changes. Like how do you stay motivated to still work towards that vision, even though you're met with, you know, job loss or whatever the change challenge or loss might be in your life? Yeah. I see pain differently now. Pain, problems, all those sort of things. In therapy, we talk about, and, and you may or may not be familiar with the terms of CBTs so or cognitive behavioral therapy, which is really just a linking of your thoughts and your beliefs. Thoughts and beliefs impact your feelings. Uh, your feelings, right, emotional intelligence, your feelings impact your actions. And your actions, depending on what you choose to do, your actions then impact your outcomes. Mm-hmm. Now, if your outcomes are not favorable, and when I say favorable, I mean they're not what you would want them to be, then we term them as problems. That's it. And then that impacts your thinking again. Your thoughts about yourself, your thoughts about the world, your beliefs about God, your beliefs about It's all cyclical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's all a circle, all a cycle. So when one's not in balance, you know, the others aren't either. So Eric, what's your point? Here's my point. When my understanding of the world changed and our place in this world change, I stopped calling everything a problem mm-hmm. that was painful. Yeah. Not all pain is problematic. There are lessons, if you choose to listen and look for them, there are always lessons to be learned. You can always learn from anybody. Mm-hmm. The life is, if nothing else, a constant teacher. And it is up to you to get the lessons. I teach and I was talking about this, I think some months ago, I always am just kind of, one of my gifts, I was like teaching. I like coaching. I like, it's just who I am. So I was talking or teaching with someone some months ago and I was telling them about class, like a school, you know, in school, usually at the end of a semester or just throughout, there are pop quizzes, there are tests mm-hmm. and there is no test designed that's not meant to at some point or by somebody be tested out of. Every test is designed to test out. Now, whether you test out or not, 
is based on you and your study ability to, you know, adapt to concepts and understanding. So I would say if you find yourself in these repeated cycles of problems, I challenge you to figure out what are the right answers to test out of this. If I'm seeing things, that, and, and this is not to minimize people's issues or problems, mm-hmm. things like COVID-19 that happened, people really died. Right. Not to minimize that at all. What I'm saying is pain will always be with us. And how we and how quickly we come out of those places of, you know, woe is me and pain, which is human Mm -hmm. and natural. It is your acceptance of the reality. It's your acceptance of this happened. Doesn't matter if you liked what happened or didn't like what happened. It happened. It happened. What can I learn from it? How can I grow from this place and continue to move forward? And that's it. And it's getting very introspective, not emotional to the point where you are stagnant with emotions of anger and some of these other, but get very introspective and just ask the right questions to help you navigate some of those things you consider chronic problems. But it's a growth thing and it starts up here. It's the the mind. It's how you perceive issues. I I run into challenges every day, all day long, Mm -hmm. but, and I, and I deal emotionally just like anybody else does emotional response where I'm angry or I'm sad or whatever else, but I'm a lot quicker to rebound because I have tools in place and understanding that this life's not it. Mm -hmm. And my present pain is not my, uh, it's not my permanent condition, nor is it my permanent place. Every seed that grows eventually grows up and grows out of the ground. But for those periods when you're under the ground, it's just understanding that I'm meant to be here for a reason and I'm meant to test out of it. In chapter eight of my book, and I'll stop talking, in chapter eight of my book, there is something I talk about called waiting and learning how to wait. And when I say wait, it is W-A-I-T. It's learning how to work actively in transition. It's learning how to, if I'm here in, if I'm here in the Bible, you know, the, the Israelites were out in the desert and God told them to build tents and to plant and to have children. What God out here in the, in the desert, you know, like this is not our promised land. This is not where we're meant to be. This is not what you promised me. And the same for you all today and to myself, it is, hey, you're going to all have some desert places in your life. Wait, work actively in the transition. That's how I push through. It is. Today is a crappy day. I do not feel good. I don't feel okay, but I still have a plan and I still have a purpose. And I don't really like this part of the, I don't, you know, if it's a recipe, I don't like this ingredient, God, (laughs) but I know the overall recipe is good for me. Mm -hmm. So I trust the recipe and I trust the cook. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's so good. So, So I hope you all wrote down the acronym because if you didn't, it's powerful work actively in transition like that is a whole episode word uh, (laughs) on its own talk to us a little bit about so I know your book talks about emotional intelligence and it's such a big part of this I'm curious about your perspective on emotional intelligence particularly being in the learning and development space so if you think about people who are in the workplace I know my experience has been like we don't particularly incorporate we don't talk about emotions (laughs) you know we don't we don't deal with emotions like you need to get that together and then come back and then we can talk about these outcomes but just as you laid out the emotions are a part of how you get to the outcome so how do you teach and lead your team and uh, people that you come into contact with about how to manage emotions particularly in a professional setting absolutely one of the things i do is i really like to take an eraser 
to that whole very well-defined line of personal professional. I, at the end of the day, we're all human. And that's what I, what, I, what I anchor in on. Even at work, you know, in the position that I'm in, I, I do have a voice and I'm able to speak up. Uh, and as a Black person, you know, a person of color, I'm able to speak up. And, and one of the things I speak up about is the human dynamic. The better we are as humans and as people, professionally, we're going to show up better too. That's just the way it is. And I have interwoven, interlaced these sort of things into our metrics uh, within the company and within my department specifically. So, of course, we perform. We have KPIs to hit like everyone. We have OKRs to hit like everyone. We have right metrics and data and dashboards and all that sort of thing. And what I've learned is the higher up you go, and it talks about this in the book that I read, Emotional Intelligence 2.0 by Travis Bradbury and other, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but yeah, the book Emotional Intelligence 2.0, but it speaks about the higher up you go, especially in corporate settings, usually your emotional intelligence drops because you're not in the weeds. You're not in the minutia of the day to day. You lose insight into the feelings, the human dynamic of people. And if you just stick with that, you will have a better culture. You won't have to fight people to, to be engaged at work. You won't have to scratch and claw for people to work a little harder and put in the work ethic or deliver, you know, or go a little harder for you and your department. When you love your people, your people love you. Their people love themselves. They know what that means and they produce. One of the things that from a professional, personal standpoint, you know, emotional intelligence is just, it's about relationships. In the, in the workplace, that, that's what I teach and what I preach. I've implemented this year, actually we just started and we've, we've just finished our fourth week of doing this and it's been transformational. Is I incorporated even remotely, uh, we have daily huddles. And I shared one of these on LinkedIn, people seem to like it, but we have daily huddles and each day there's a different theme for that day just to kick off our days. We do 15 minutes where we just kind of go around the horn and give reports on what was done yesterday. What are we doing today? What impediments do you face? You know, that sort of thing. But then we spend about five to 10 minutes on a theme. So on my Mondays, I do a, a meditation Monday where I incorporate, I teach people breath work. Now that's a personal life that you can use, but how powerful is breath work and meditation when you're trying to control people from conflict, you know, and when you can incorporate that into a workplace, you can tell someone when you know that they're getting a little heated, hey, breathe. And they know how to, and they do it properly. And then they de-escalate themselves and come on about their day. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, on Tuesdays, we do Transformation Tuesdays. Transformation Tuesdays is either we'll, we'll look at a TED Talk an empowering TED Talk, or we will listen to powerful affirmations or write powerful affirmations. Why would that be important in the workplace, Eric? Affirming is not the place you didn't. We don't do that in work. No, but we do. Because when someone knows their worth and they know they're valuable and they know that they're the answer to their problems, they stop coming to you with all the problems. They start empowering themselves. They start speaking life over themselves and start saying things like, I have what it takes to succeed. I love myself. And they have great attitudes in the workplace. Yeah. Wednesdays, we do workout Wednesdays. So we do desk exercises. And what am I teaching them to do? To stretch and to move and to be healthy because the healthier they are, the longer for one that they will, they'll work uh, for those corporate people who are in that mindset. You won't have as many health issues. You won't be using insurance, uh, company insurance. They're healthy. They have energy. It kicks their day off. So they're energized throughout the whole day. Thursdays, we do therapeutic Thursdays because everyone needs a little therapy. Everyone has trauma at yeah. some level or another. Uh, undiagnosed trauma, 
or diagnosed trauma. We all deal with stuff in life. And so we take just five minutes to write in a journal. We have different prompts that I give and we write and we cleanse the palate for five minutes. Things like, you know, what, what, what's something that you're fearful of? What has, oh, last week's was, uh, what has your anxiety taught you about you? Mm. Those kinds of things. And then on Fridays, we just have Fellowship Friday. We just talk about, hey, what are you doing for the weekend? The, just the human element. There's no way I would even continue working where I work if I were not able to be a human first. Uh, above role and title, above pay grades, we're just people working together cohesively to move an organization's mission forward, which any organization's mission is to serve. Yep. So my job as a leader is to serve. What does that mean? Just serve the organization? No, it means to serve up, down, across. I'm taking care of my people so they can take care of the organization and take care of themselves. And I'm taking care of it by doing that. And that's how I get promoted. Mm -hmm. It's just from loving people and serving people. So I think that's my answer. Yeah, that that was a whole leadership mini masterclass. And I hope <laughs> if you're like me, you're going to rewind and like, wait, let me write down these days again. And okay. how can we incorporate that? And it's so good because you're exactly right. Like leadership is about helping to create more leaders. And so if you're not concerned with the people, if it's just about the OKRs and the KPIs, then it's like, what are you enrolled for? Like what, who, who and what are you leading and why really? What so, are we doing? Yeah, exactly. What? What are we doing? <laughs> and there's been so much of that. Speaking of, I know you know the line of work that we do at Career Thrivers is all around leadership development, but with a specific lens around being a more inclusive leader. And you, you you hit the nail on the head for me in terms of service. But for anyone that may be listening who may be in this space of, hey, I've had this awakening over the last six months, nine months, I need to do better in terms of being more inclusive. What would you say to leaders who want to make the workplace more inclusive? Oh, how much time do we have, Brittany? One, it starts with, starts with leadership, number one. Yeah, and this is one of those top, down, bottom up, middle, like it's, it's an all in. It's an all hands on deck approach to transforming culture if you don't already have it in place. One of the things practically that I do, so uh, obviously I'm over hiring for our department, I include everyone. Everyone has a voice. Everyone is a part of the decision. I tell my people all the time, I'm not your boss, even though they tell me I'm their boss uh, and you report to me. But I, I empower all my people to be CEOs of their role. Mm -hmm. I don't want you coming to me for everything. I do want to develop you, but development doesn't mean that you get everything from me. I just want to set the conditions. So I provide the healthy conditions for you to get what you need if you're a motivated individual wanting to go after certain stuff. That's my job is to make sure you you have access to these sorts of things. When it comes to culture, diversity, and being more inclusive, again, it starts with emotional intelligence. Uh, and when I speak about emotional intelligence, I talk about four key areas, uh, self-awareness. And when we're talking about inclusivity, you need to really be honest with yourself and ask yourself, where do my biases lie? Where am I biased culturally? Where am I ignorant? culturally. You know, it's not enough just to say, I don't diss or dog out other races. No, it is how informed are you on other races, other cultures outside of your own? Look around your friend circles, look around your professional settings. You know, in the workplace, if you're in the boardroom, in how many, uh, and this probably isn't politically correct, but uh, my heart is, is love. You know, how many white people are in the room? How many black people are in the room? How many Hispanics are in the room? How many have a voice when it comes to ch big changes? I'm not talking about these little small changes like 
You know, we're going to do a popcorn party. Who's going to pick out the popcorn? Oh, we let them pick the popcorn out. Okay, they pick the popcorn out, so that's inclusive. No, I'm talking about organizational changes. I'm talking about benefit packages, that, that kind of stuff changing based on that. So for me, I include my team. I make sure everyone has a voice and everyone's included, uh, even to the point of hiring. So let me get to this. Uh, when we hire, I will talk with a new potential recruit. If I like them, they have to go through my team. They have to do a team interview. They have to jail with my team. My team has to say, oh, I like them. I can't wait for them to come on board. They have to be different from what we have on the team already. If we already have certain skills in place, I want different skills and I don't bring on yes people. I teach and tell and I've had to train my people to challenge me, Mm. challenge my thinking because am I educated? Absolutely, but I'm just one point of view. You all have a wealth of experience. Some of you are older than I am. Some are younger than I am. And you all bring something that is, you know, diversity is a, it's, it's a strengthening tool. It makes your environment stronger. Absolutely. So I include my people in every interview process. That's worked into the interview structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I mean by not just, you know, throwing these little pebbles of diversity out, but really making it a part of all your frameworks and all of your strategies. Uh, before I roll out changes, I'm feeding it to my team. Hey, you know, on the if y'all are disc people like D I, I'm a heavy D. I'm a what kind of person? I'm like, oh, let's get this done. I'm a what? Oh my, let's go. Yeah, but listen, here's my emotional intelligence growth. Mm-hmm. Eric, yes, you're great. You organize, you strategize, you write down a plan. But I also know enough about myself to know that I'll just push out stuff. So here's what I do to cope. Here's a tool, a strategy I use before I push anything out. I just throw it out to the team. Mm-hmm. I say, what am I missing? Who did I not include? What, why, what am I not thinking about? Did I give enough of the why? Right? I, I use the old journalistic approach, communications major, the who, what, when, where, why, how. So I just want to make sure everyone's involved, everyone has a voice. And even when we have to move a certain direction, I still want to make sure I meet people where they are, which is also inclusive. Yeah. So in terms of diversity, inclusion, it starts with your heart. Uh, the heart of the company and the organization and your company values. And if you have company values, the real question is, do you live up to these values on a daily basis? If you are the executive team or uh, senior leadership, it's easy to push down values on other people, but to ask yourself, am I really living these out? Do I go through the trainings? Do I follow the policies? Do I skirt around when I'm at home? Where is my integrity? How do I do when I work remote? So it, it's, it, it's just making yourself a part of the fold and not above mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. It is immersing yourself on an emotional level with how is this going to impact everyone else? Who am I leaving out? So it's just pausing, asking more inclusive questions. And that will slowly but surely get you to a place where you are more, you're seen as inclusive. You're actually walking out self-concept wise, an inclusive manager, leader, supervisor, corporate, executive, whatever. Yeah, that is brilliant. And the the word that was flashing in my mind was intention. Yes. Like everything that you just shared was about making an intentional effort, which then drives impact. So if you're trying to be more impactful in that space, Eric just gave us some great tools and some practical ways we can do that every single day. I love it. So I have to ask you this almost last question about you know, your book is called Sign Up. How do people sign up? How, how do, what, what advice would you share if you had, obviously you've written a whole book on it. So make sure you check out the show notes, grab your copy. It's on Amazon, paperback, Audible. You can listen to it um, as well. But how do you sign up for your life? 
Absolutely. One, the way you just said it. So go to uh, ericlcox.com. You can go right there on Amazon. But what it means to sign up. So in 2014, I ran 10 races, 10 endurance races with two of my running partners. And that's where the story really picks up and, and kicks off. In 2013, we were sitting at a, uh, this is literally my opener. Uh, we were sitting at a diner, me and my two running partners, and we had ran before long endurance races. When we say endurance races, uh, half marathons or marathons are longer. Uh, so 13.1 mile races, 26.2 mile races. We had done a few up to that point uh, and only a couple within any given year. And in 2013, one of the partners had said, let's do 10 of these next year. And we started laughing. We was like, whose legs are we using? Who's, who's, who's running 10 of these in a year? Who's doing that? <laughs> and we all sort of just paused. And then we're like, we should do it. Like, let's think through what would it take? Let's just entertain. What would it take at least if we were to do this? Let's at least look online and see what the races are. And we signed up. And signing up is really about just making a decision. Mm. Intention. Again, Focus again on your own life. It is signing up. It is registering. It is putting your name in the hat in a very tangible way toward your life. For us, nothing's real until it's written. And in running, that's true too. You are not in the race until your name is in the race, until you're signed up for it, until you put money toward it, until you put effort toward it. You're not signed up. So signing up in your life. It's just that it's creating the vision. It's sitting down. It's looking at what do I want out of life? What is life calling from me? What is my, what's the, what's my worth? Not what I do or my, my titles, my roles, but who am I? Who am I? And what does that mean? And what's my life supposed to look like? What are my gifts? What are my talents? What energizes me? What triggers me? What, 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 where's my uh, undiagnosed trauma? It's learning fully about yourself and then attacking, head first, attacking the plan. I did not write this in my book, but it's something I'm actually going to uh, redesign my whole website and redesign my whole everything, branding. I need to reach out to, to you, Brittany. I'm going to pay you the money and you do, you do all this for me or coach me through it. I really came up with four pillars, and this was after writing the book. And the four pillars that the, the book really centers on uh, is anchored to is one, minding your business. Uh, it's learning how to mind your own business. There is a, uh, and this is real, this is in the Bible for those uh, Bible scholars out there. I believe it's in James, uh, but it's the message version, and you can Bing it. You can go on Bing.com or Google.com, <laughs> and you can type that. We had a laugh earlier about being in Google. Uh, but you can type in the message version. Uh, it's something to the effect of stay calm, mind your own business. Stay calm and mind your own business. And I apply that in my life. I apply that in, my, in work uh, corporately. So when it comes to signing up, it's about minding your own business. Now, if you don't have any business to mind, then you're going to be real nosy all up in everybody else's stuff. You gossip about everyone else. You're always in competition. You're always looking at somebody and saying, well, they're not so good, not so great. Why they get all this? How did this happen for them? What, why me? Why can't I have all this sort of, you're not minding your business, honey. And you need a plan. So you have something to follow. So you can keep your eyes on your plan and your life and your lane. And running, you're your only competition, especially endurance races. The clock, when you cross that finish line, it's just tracking you. You get an email about your results. Now you can see everybody else's, but 
your results are your results because it was your race at your pace. And that's the same in life. Signing up is just, it's minding your business. You got to have business to mind. Uh, so the first part of that in minding your own business, and you'll see this in the book. So chapters one through four is about chapter one, writing out the business plan. And I use the term business loosely, just meaning your life plan. So chapter one is writing out the plan, the vision, the plan. Chapter two then is assessing the business owner. There are you. It is, we're looking at emotional intelligence. You know, there is writing out a business plan. Then there's looking at how do I get in my own way and figuring those things out. Chapter three is just aligning and make sure those values are intact. Every company has values. And we as people should also have anchoring values, also a mission statement. We should have that for our own lives and then ask ourselves, are we living up to this? And does my plan and my tactics line up with who I am based on that plan? Chapter four is all about a detailed mitigation plan against you. What are my comforts? What are my temptations that always get in my way? Every year I write a big plan out. I don't follow any of it. So what are the things that trip me up about me? Uh, The second part or second pillar is around uh, protecting your energy. Mind your business, protect your energy. Your energy, when I say that, what I'm speaking about are your inputs and your outputs. What do you allow? Who do you allow into your headspace, your heart space, into your energy field? Who's in your sphere of influence? And you need, to, you need to itemize like they do in stores every night. You need to go through inventory. You need to look at and assess who is around me, who's impacting me, what conversations influence me. How do I speak? Is this who I want to be? Are these the people I want to be around? Is their energy draining or are they energy heighteners? Do they heighten my energy or lower, lower my frequency and my energy? Same is true with coaches, mentors. Who do I allow to pour into me? Who's my pastor, my spiritual leader? Who are my mentors in business? Who's teaching me? What do I allow into my space? And then you, what am I telling, teaching myself, which really folds into the third pillar, which is love yourself. Um, And loving yourself, you know, a lot of people say, if I were to poll the audience, you know, how many of you love yourself? Yeah, I love me. But is that seen in your actions toward yourself? Do you burn yourself out all the time? That's not loving yourself. Do you have boundaries in place with people? That's loving yourself. Are you firm on those boundaries? That's loving yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you enjoy yourself? You just having fun with you. And even while you're on your road towards success and trying to achieve and attain all these things, are you missing moments because you're not at peace with yourself and you're always dogging yourself and you say, well, I can't sleep now. You don't even sleep. You don't love yourself. I can't, I got no time to sleep. I got, I got to do this and and run here and run there. It's like, no, 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 calm down. Again, it's just your race. You're not, there's no clock against you. Love yourself enough to slow down, sleep, eat right, get your mind and your energy right. Love you. Quarantine, I pray taught that to somebody. I've learned just to be content with me. Even this year, I had COVID, January. COVID tore me up and I was by myself in this house and it was just me and God. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I, it's humbling to have a virus inside of you that has taken out so many people. Mm-hmm. And it is it, it, it's humbling to the point where you reflect and you start asking yourself questions like, how am I showing up mm-hmm. for myself? Not for people, not what the world sees, not this glitz and glamour kind of thing. How do I show up for me? How have I been, how have I been taking care of me? I can't pour right from an empty, not at all. Pour from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. You can't. So it's loving yourself. And the last one is just learning to forgive. 
let go. Just. <laughs> and when I say I forgive, and forgive one sometimes. <laughs> and when I say forgive and forgive others, it is it, it, it's not that you're okay with whatever someone did to you or how they triggered you. Sometimes people don't even know they hurt you. And that goes back to your own emotional intelligence and, you know, and your boundaries. And if you've expressed those sort of things, but it is, it's forgiving people. It's letting go. And I'll share a quote uh, that I shared with you a little earlier, Brittany. And it's also about letting go of the past, just forgiving the past. Um, you know, I grew up poor and I can talk about that all day long. And I, I talk about it now from a place of healing, uh, not from a place of hurt. So when I say those kind of things, it's not that I'm dwelling on that sort of stuff. I've forgiven it. Like the past, it is what it is. I was born into what I was born into. Things happen. Life happens. Even the, you know, the flood that happened, <laughs> the hundred year flood that so that lined up with my birth year and came, that's forgiven. It's all forgiven. Like stop resisting. Stop resisting. Doesn't mean you have to like it. Just stop resisting or direction. Right? We're in the, the presence of now. So that that is signing up. It's learning how to mind your business. It's learning how to protect your energy. It's learning how to love yourself and it's learning how to forgive other people. And very quickly, because I know you have corporate people on here and leaders on here, this applies to the workplace too. Mm-hmm. Mind your business at work. When I say mind your business, focus on your KPIs, focus on your development, focus on what you're doing, your work ethic. Stop blaming, talking about everybody else. You know Sheila, she done it, and she did. Oh, you know this person, they did, and you know it. Stop gossiping. Mind your business. Do your work. Protect your energy at work. Don't allow people to pour in. Stop people. When people come with you with crap, problems, protect your energy. Mm -hmm. Protect your energy. And love yourself. Loving yourself means a lot of things at work. One, it means uh, speaking up when it's time to speak up. If you see an injustice being done, love yourself enough to speak up. If it is high time for a promotion, love yourself enough, do the work, mind your business and actually earn what you're asking for, <laughs> but then speak up Yes. and forgiving other people, even at work, the people who irritate you, get under your skin, you're always in constant conflict with, let that go. That's hard, Eric. It's hard because you want to hold it. Mm. I said, let go. I didn't say it wasn't heavy. It's heavy because you, you want, when you let go of something, you release all the weight mm-hmm. that comes with that thing. That's it. That would be my, my sign up for your personal life, for your professional life. And it looks different personally too, even with relationships with people. But yeah, ultimately that, that's what the book's about. So, so good. And you definitely need to get your copy. It's so practical. Um, there are actually, what, 10? I think there are 10 lessons. In there the- are, yeah. 10 it's lessons. Very and- interactive. Yes. Every, every lesson, yeah. every chapter is not just to uh, sit back and drink wine and read the chapter. No, it's all, it's a little blurb about me and some teaching, but then as you put in the work, it truly is one of those things where you get what you put into it. Mm-hmm. You get to do the work as Ayala Van Zandt would say. Well, yes. Eric, this has been so good. Let us know how we can stay connected with you. All right, I'll keep this short so you got to edit so much. So uh, you can just ericlcox.com. So all the social media platform, all that stuff's there too. But ericlcox.com is where you can find me. Perfect. That'll be in the show notes. And like we end every episode, what does being a thriver mean to you? Yes. Thriving has been my life. And I know it's been yours too. Thriving's just moving forward. It's moving ahead. It's not... Um, it's not ignoring present conditions. 
So that's not healthy either, just to block out things that you don't want to deal with. Right. So it's dealing gracefully with everything in life, taking everything as it comes and just pushing for it is running against the wind with a smile. With a smile. There yeah. you go. We know you got that. We know you've got that. And if you're listening, make sure you check out the video of this conversation as well. I have absolutely enjoyed this. Thank you. What a great way to end the week. So Thank you for joining us on the show. Make sure you check out Eric's website. Check out his new book. We'll be looking forward to those updates with those pillars because I absolutely love that. And until next time, let's thrive together. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Thrivers podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating and a review and stay connected with us. You can find us on Instagram at Career Thrivers. Email us directly at careerthrivers.com. Dot com, which is the website. The email is info at careerthrivers.com or simply click the link in the show notes to drop your feedback, questions that you want answered on the show, or to get more information about our sponsorship spots. I cannot wait to speak with you next week. Until next time, keep thriving. We'll talk soon.